Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In a few moments, Thought Speak will begin its broadcast. This is a dramatization, and in the midst of the horror and chaos, you will notice that we cannot interrupt for a commercial. For those of you that have heard the show in the past, you will find very little changed. And if you intend to stay with us for the next hour and a half, all these things are done to let you pull in the reins of your imagination. Incredible? You're absolutely right, it is incredible. And you are about to hear the results. Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K.A. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. I'm Coleman. And I'm Mitchell. And boy, oh boy, are we excited, folks, to be bringing you our review tonight. At least I am. I'm incredibly excited. I mean, the last episode was put out, like, less than a month ago. So this is this is an exciting time to be a Thought Speak fan. We're putting out episodes... <laughs> slightly quicker than before life in the fast lane <laughs> that's us we're in the fast lane now folks yeah uh you know and and a big part of it might have been the fact that we both knew or at least i knew going into it that this was a good book i remember it being a good book and there are uh a lot of fans telling us that it's their favorite um more than some of the other books in fact i'm constantly hearing people not even Tobias fans specifically, but just people in general saying 23 is one of their favorites. Um, 23? Wait a second. Isn't Hork-Bajir Chronicles next in the release date lineup? And hasn't ThoughtSpeak had a great track record of following the release date lineup? Oh, Coleman, you silly, silly fool. You assume that we care about things like that or pay attention to things like that. <laughs> there was a time, young Coleman really, really cared that we review these in the release date order. You know, yeah, but here's the thing. Um, I I know for a fact that I've read number 23 before in the past. Uh, my memories on it weren't that clear or very strong, um, but I know I'd read it um, at the very least. Now, y- you never read it before? Uh, I think I started reading it like as a library book and just didn't finish it for some reason. Okay, okay. So I remember the I remember the beginning. So maybe I did read the whole thing. I just forgot a lot of it. Well, I know for a fact that both of us have never read the Horkbajir Chronicles, and that being kind of a bigger book, um, I, I'm I'm definitely okay with saving it um, for for a later date. So just to save us from all the emails, we are aware, people. This is you're going to get the Pretender before the Horkbajir Chronicles. So I apologize. You know, I don't think people are going to be that uh, mad or offended or, or, I mean, as long as we put out, you know, our reviews on both of them. Hork Your Chronicles is coming next anyway, folks. Uh, oh, yeah. So get pumped excited. for that. <laughs> I'm excited to read it. I mean, it's, uh, it's a big one. And uh, I've never, like you said, neither of us have ever read it. So I know there's going to be trees involved, possibly a female Andalite. What? <laughs> Who knows, man? It's it's going to be some crazy backstory. I mean, I guess it gives you uh, more... I mean, if we got into the Pretender with some hork knowledge and maybe been even more sympathetic for them, uh, it would have changed a few of the end parts of the Pretender, I think. Yeah, I, I guess so. Because, yeah, we do get a lot of uh, good hork time. In fact, um, let's go ahead and discuss the cover here because... 
Tobias books are always kind of a little treat in that, you know, we've got the creepy human Tobias kind of uh, with his opacity turned down a little bit in the background lurking while Hawk Tobias morphs. And in this one, uh, we've got him morphing a bunny, which is fairly deceptive of them. <laughs> yeah, some of these uh, some of these covers are actually getting annoying in how they're just picking some random small morph and making that the cover. Well, I don't know if they're specifically trying to avoid battle morphs for everything. And, and you can't have the same battle morph, I understand that, but um, I don't know. The rabbit. I, I, I think they're just they're they're trying to put a different animal on the cover each time. I think that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, but actually, it's it's not that bad of a cover <laughs> as I mean, far kinda, as these things go. It's kind of cool in the sense that you have like the bird of prey turning into prey. I mean, that's that's interesting, I guess. Exactly. Um, and the colors are cool. I like the color scheme. It's pretty yeah. Um, it it looks kind of like a sunset uh, horizon. You know, the closest thing they've gotten are actual artwork um on the cover so far exactly and on the inside cover it's a scene straight out of the book what a treat Mm -hmm. that's nice to see that um for once exactly uh let's jump to the back here and i'm going to be the one to read it this time good because i don't actually have the book in front of me right now terrific someone's (laughs) looking for tobias someone who says she's his long lost cousin tobias isn't sure the person is telling the truth But she's really nice, and knows a lot about him, and what she tells Tobias definitely gets his attention. It seems a lawyer has discovered Tobias' father's last will and testament, so Tobias needs to attend the reading. His cousin even offers to go along, but something just doesn't feel quite right. That's when Tobias, the other Animorphs, and Axe decide to do a little checking on this cousin, and what they discover will change the rest of Tobias' life. So, right off the bat, this book is just um, misleading you <laughs> into what it's what it's about, because what it does not mention is a little horkbajir kid named Beck. Now I'm gonna raise a point here real quick, right right at the beginning. Go ahead. Um, point me, bro. It's very interesting. So I read this book into last week, um, maybe a little, maybe middle of last week or something. I actually don't remember a lot of the plot. And that's not usually a problem for me with, especially Animorphs books. I've got a pretty good mind when it comes to remembering the plot and the intricacies, intricacies so we can talk about them. Right. Well, I mean, this is this is a, a real Horkbajir heavy book. Maybe that's really. what it is. And, I remember and, the and stuff in the meadow kind of... and the rabbit and all that. But Yeah, um... that, that stuff all kind of blends into the background. I mean, you know that the Horkbajir have these character developing moments whenever they're visited. You're just not necessarily sure what book it occurred in. <laughs> this is one of those books. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. Luckily, we have a summary, so. Ex- be, uh, exactly. Good to go. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and right off the bat, um, this book starts out very much like the other Tobias books with him chilling in his meadow. Um, only this time, we learn through his own narration about his uh, growing starvation uh, at the hands of this rival hawk that's kind of been encroaching on his, his territory since at least a past book. He's mentioned him before. Yeah, and it's it's cool because, uh, you know, it's the main uh, inner demon that the character's struggling with as many of the Animorph books have dealt with. Oh, yeah, um, I love the line, in fact, that it's like, you know, he looks just like a red hawk, just a uh, red-tailed hawk, just like me. So it's like looking at myself, basically. 
Yeah, and it's I'd compare it to uh, I mean, this is just like Rachel being a cold blooded killer and Jake being a leader and all these things that each animorph has to deal with. Um, I feel like this book is really compared to like Jake's number eleven or number fifteen in the sense that yeah, it's the trope that we're going to be dealing with his struggle throughout the entire series, but it it kind of kicks it up to a notch where it's actually like really good writing. It's really the fact that he's having trouble eating as a hawk because of his human side. That's good. That's that's a good emotional journey for, uh, as we keep saying, a kid's book series. Oh, yeah. This this whole book is about Tobias kind of coming to terms with his hawk side, his human side, just what he is in general. And um, it, it's I mean, there's <laughs> the weirdest part of the book is definitely this part here where He's, you know, trying to, to swoop down on the uh, the bunnies that we've got from the cover image. And he's got these, like, weird flash visions where he becomes the prey. And he sees, you know, himself as a hawk swooping down on him. Um, and the execution in that is a little awkward. Uh, I don't think he needed to him to have actual, like, hallucinations in his struggle. I think it would have been nice that he's just, like, if he just got to the point where he was, like, depressed and so sick of eating not a hamburger, you know? And and they they show that with the whole roadkill part, but I think that's all you needed. You didn't need to have him having these flash hallucinations. Yeah, my main beef with the, the flash visions is that they're not really explained, because whenever you get a character doing something weird, like, uh, uh, you know... We have time travel in this series. I, need, I immediately think Elemist. Yeah, we need to know that this isn't supernatural, and it doesn't really give us that. No. So, um, be, yeah, you mentioned Roadkill. Well, because he has these weird visions and he's starving, he's forced to go eat Roadkill. And um, he does this in a city somewhere where, he, of, of course, he runs into Rachel. Or Rachel yeah. runs into him. That's not very good. More Dude. like it. It's a little too much coincidence there, but right. But um, at the same time, uh, it gives him a good reason to go see her later that night, and he even tries to bring it up, but she always she shushes him basically mm-hmm. to uh, uh, deliver some big news. Um, in fact, the news that we learned from the back cover uh, which... also kind of coincidental that she is the one to tell him that a lawyer's looking for him. Uh... Yeah. Not, oh, I'm not... sure. I'm sure she told the rest of the team. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll let him know. Well, yeah. On one of our nightly saying, visits. Of all the ways he could have found this out, it's it's just weird. Like they could have done a scene where he was just like like he kept a lookout kind of on his old house. Like he hated his life, but you know he still kind of like swung by there every once in a while. No, you know what would be even better? Some mail or something. No. You, you, okay. <laughs> it's funny that you bring up mail because my idea just now is that it would be hilarious and probably very smart if Tobias this entire time had a P.O. mailbox that oh. he was getting mail shipped to and he was <laughs> like routinely checking it. That'd be, well, I mean, that would give away, though, if he if he wasn't with his aunt and uncle, if they were trying to track him down, having a P.O. box with his name on it would be a little tough. Well, I mean, he could use a fake name or just something, just something to get mail. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, I could see them doing some funny things with that, but no, nothing like that. Um, <laughs> Rachel, Rachel just tells him that there's a lawyer uh, trying to get in touch with him, and she learned this from Chapman, 
Which, when I first heard that, I was like, oh my god, Chapman, it's been forever, man. Where you been? <laughs> you know, but we don't get Is to Melissa see... there? We, yeah. Where's Melissa? <laughs> we don't get to see them in this book. They just name drop them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, basically, the lawyer is representing this cousin area that uh, wants to adopt Tobias, which, woo! There's, there's the hope for the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, Tobias goes and head and tells the rest of the animorphs about this because anything concerning him because he's such a rogue factor in their surviving this war uh if any humans are talking about tobias or where he went or why he disappeared that's gonna affect the rest of the animorphs if that secret is found out in any way so no uh, and it's absolutely awesome to see them all you know clearly acting like a team at this point they're just they're all in their spots giving him ready to give him backup at a moment's notice and, you know, talking to, to to Tobias, saying more words to him than how are we doing or is the room clear or. <laughs> yeah. What's the view like up there, Tobias? Um, <laughs> Got any hork butcher on our tail? <laughs> it's, it's really cool. Um, they even have like, you know, secret code uh, messages that they are able to signal to each other uh, just simply by walking into a convenience store and like picking up a candy bar. Like you said, they're they're going to meet um, the the lawyer DeGroat, um, and we got a great description of Tobias morphing from bird to human here, uh, the first in this book, and I believe what might be the last mention ever of them being like, and they they had left me a backpack of clothes here because that goes away, I, I think. Why does it, it definitely go doesn't away? in the in the later in this book. <laughs> Oh, There's yeah. no mention of him being I think he's provided naked for clothing. Half this book. Yeah, I think he's <laughs> naked for half this book. And, it's uh, it's a fact that, the, or it's a detail that they gloss over from time to time for Tobias. Yeah, cause I don't even know if he ever learned to morph a morphing outfit. Uh, yeah, that's a very good point too. Um, and if he puts on a morphing outfit in his human morph and morphs back to his normal hawk morph, if he morphs to human, does the outfit come back? No, I think he ends up as a hawk with a spandex suit wrapped around him. <laughs> well, it makes sense if your morph is DNA that's a bubble in Z-Space. And the reason they can morph clothes is because that bubble has tight-fitting things around it. And so it's still just mass. There's no reason he couldn't put on something in his human morph and then just save it up there. Uh, I don't know my friend i don't i don't have the answers you seek this but... is why we have a podcast we discuss these things. <laughs> is there I, tobias I just, to, I just wanted to point out the fact that rarely do they ever mention the fact that when tobias morphs human he's you know gonna need a lot of clothing look i'm sick of this broad storytelling and us dancing around the issues who bought this backpack and where does he keep it <laughs> uh okay moving on uh, so he's meeting with the lawyer DeGroat, and you know DeGroote. it seems it seems extraordinarily normal. Um, he he seems like a normal guy. He's you know very polite to Tobias, offers him lots of soda and stuff. And actually, I thought there's a lot of good comedy in this book too, especially the scene here where Tobias is trying to act human, and you know he's taking like a, a sip from a just a regular can of soda. And he's like blown away, and you know I'm, I'm reminded of Axe and one of his food yeah, freakouts. He name here. drops apps, Axe in this uh, scene. Exactly. Um, I mean, it it just 
this would be a great episode of the TV show. Wink, wink. But, you know, <laughs> they can't do it right. So, of <laughs> um, yeah. And, and the lawyer, you know, continues to tell him about Arya, the cousin that has been uh, apparently off in Africa, you know, on photographing assignments all this time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really his um, first inkling that his father is not his father which is probably the only truth to this right this is the only truth that comes out of this whole lawyer thing is that he finds out that his uh father was not the guy he grew up with or right yeah they they kind of had to actually reveal his his real past to him here uh just because yeah otherwise i mean they wouldn't have been able to call him in there because but he had been a letter full of nonsense from somebody <laughs> he didn't know so yeah but the problem with this though isn't uh if later on in the book we finds out you know all of that is untrue and i don't think i'm spoiling anything since the name of the effing book is the pretender um uh yeah which you know i wanted to bring up something about the title of that. yeah we're gonna we talk about the title later the, the title is a big part of the book i understand but <laughs> I uh <laughs> but yeah i mean the the fact that he shouldn't believe any of that even though he's getting real information in this scene right i know and that's kind of what throws him for a loop here is that first of all he is hopeful as hell that this is all actually going as positive as he hopes it is you know um, he's got a long-lost potential relative here that wants to adopt him. Um, I mean, it just seems too good to be true. And spoilers, it is. Um, but <laughs> spoilers, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> but exactly. this is. This guy really does sell him. Um, this might be the best Yerk plan ever because they, they sell him on the situation and even convince <laughs> the entirety of the Animorphs that okay. uh, this okay. is real. Well, yeah, we're just saying it. Sure, yeah, he's a Yerk. Of course. Oh my gorgeous. gosh, were you seriously going to keep that? If anything, people are <laughs> are listening to this after they've read the book, or they're just not following along. No, Coleman, he's a, a normal guy. He's, we're not. We're not trying. Me. We're not trying to tell the story. We're not going to save the twists and turns. The point uh, is. The point is. The first time you read this book, dear dear listener, you may be convinced by this Yerk's act. <laughs> That's how convincing it is. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. Well, he tells Tobias that he's going to go ahead and read the the last will, uh, like the back of the book said, on Tobias's birthday, which, funnily enough, Tobias can't even remember when that is. That's a little bit chunk of his book, him trying to figure out when his birthday is. Well, yeah, exactly, especially since he doesn't, you know, inform the rest of the team about it until a little bit later. <laughs> um, and, in fact, as soon as he leaves from DeGroat's office... Um, it's kind of a cool scene where, you know, he just wants to get out of there, get away, think, you know, for himself for a little bit. And uh, Jake is kind of helping him out a little bit. He realizes Tobias has somebody following him. So he kind of alerts Tobias and there's a little getaway scene where, you know, Tobias has to run away from this whoever's chasing him, which kind of is pretty uh, a, a big giveaway that yeah it's probably a yerk plot <laughs> well it sounds kind of dumb too that tobias runs out of there and ignores the other animorphs because he's just he wants to be alone but it's stupid you have the other animorphs there as backup if you look shaken up and you run out of a place in human morph uh and not tell anybody what's going on and not try to make 
any kind of meetup or anything? Well, no, he 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 does. This is the cool part. I remember I told you there's a cool part where he goes into the convenience store and gives him the everything's okay signal. Yeah, by, but by I'm just saying that candy him, bar. him being actively upset. I mean, it's just I'm surprised Rachel didn't tackle him to the ground and bear mouth. Well, you know, he says it himself. He has to remember how to act human at this point. So he probably hasn't had to deal with emotions and things like this. Remember, he's been a Skycam for the last, oh, 22 books. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, so after he loses his tail, um, as, as well as the other Animorphs, um, he kind of just goes for a fly and is led to the... Uh, oh, there's a harsh oh. turn right here where he's just like, eh, I'll go to the Harkbajir Valley. Yep, the Limus. <laughs> Why not? He just feels <laughs> compelled to go visit the Harkbajir colony there in the, the what, 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 what we'll call the Lost Valley, I guess. Yeah, compelled by the plot. <laughs> the power of plot compels you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he flies into this unseeable, unknowable place. Uh, and we get, a, we get a lovely reference to the Harkbajir Chronicles here. Did you notice? Oh, yeah, I did notice, because we just read the Horkbridger Chronicles, and we're totally doing this in order. Of course. <laughs> no, I, I missed this when I was reading it. I didn't I didn't catch that it was referencing Horkbridger Chronicles. Oh, he says, uh, he says, I've only been to the valley uh, twice. Once, when we initially took them there, and then the second time when I heard a crazy story or something. You know, he, he alludes to the Horkbridger Chronicles. It, it, if this were an ebook, there would have been a clickable link right there. <laughs> that would the deposit you at the Horkbajir Chronicles. Exactly. Um, yeah, but but he he goes there and uh, kind of checks in on them, and we get our familiar Horkbajir characters, Jeremy and Kethelpak. Cool mm-hmm. names. Uh, Jeremy. As well as, if you didn't read Horkbajir Chronicles, this would be your first introduction to the character of Toby. Oh, that's a good point. Um, okay, so I guess this is really dumb because <laughs> listeners, as you've followed along with us, you know we've read every book up to this point except Horkbajir Chronicles. I just, I'm so in that Animorphs mode of knowing there's a lot of books I haven't read. I think I read this and just chalked it up to having skipped a book or something, even though we have a podcast on Animorphs and we've been reading every single one. <laughs> you, you didn't even comprehend that? I didn't, like... I didn't even question it. I was just like, oh, I must have missed that. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Clearly, there's always been a character named Toby here. <laughs> or I thought maybe they introduced her in another book or at the end of a book or something and I just I missed it or forgot it. Um, no. So, wow. Toby, Toby is like the equivalent of like the only intelligent Horkbajir. Like this is the one capable well, no, of really I know Toby, out a conversation. I know Toby from all the other books and the end of the series and everything. I'm aware of her. I just forgot that she hadn't been introduced yet. Yes. Well, this is her introduction, good friend. And it's here that Toby uh, warns Tobias that uh, the Horkbajir child Beck wandered off somehow, got out of the valley and uh, wandered away and is now missing, and it's been like a day or two. So stuff's getting pretty serious here. Yeah, and they. Um, this is another small issue I have with the book. That uh, there's a nearby Horkbajir facility to the valley that they raid. Um, maybe that's just part of the Olympus' plan to up their numbers, but it seems a little convenient that it's like, Oh yeah, we've been fighting this whole other war over here while you guys have been doing your missions. Well, no, I I actually really liked that little bit. 
Um, Tobias learns from them that they have been going on these raiding missions and increasing their numbers. And it's even kind of funny because they're like, well, how did you think we, we've been getting more and more Hork Vajir? And he's like, uh, I don't, I, di- I didn't think about it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird that they have a facility like right by the valley. And I actually, well, okay, it's, I think it's a little bit further away from the valley than what you, whatever you're thinking. Nope. I'm picturing valley and then like right next to it, like huge industrial factory that just Hork Vajir climbing all over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I highly doubt that because it's it's apparently well. First of all, Toby tells him straight up like it's not in your town. It's it's far away from here. Uh, so there's that going for him. And second of all, only they know the location of this place, and he's not even giving it up to Tobias just yet. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but at this point, they're they're kind of assuming that Beck has probably been captured or something bad has happened. Yeah, and they're just like, you go fix it. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Tobias. You can do it. Uh, back in his meadow, uh, once again, Tobias, he's just, uh, let's call it not performing. It's a regular problem. <laughs> Happens to everybody. The intercut, uh, quite a few of these scenes, actually, of him in his Tobias chilling, uh, losing the, the wild, desperate race for food that it is, once again. Um, except this time, Axe makes an appearance. Oh, yeah, and it's it's nice. I love these little interactions where Axe just breaks out of the forest into his meadow. He's like, yo, what up, best friend? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the, Tobias is, is finally bringing the team up to speed. He's explaining both of his situations, and like, you know, very much like he thought he, they all would, um, everyone kind of broke it down and analyzed it in their own various ways. <clears throat> Which you know what you know what's great about this book, they he talks about Cassie, but he never really gives a lot of uh, dialogue from Cassie. That's I mean, she point. she's got a couple of good lines in this book, like actually good dialogue towards the end, but yeah. other than that, <laughs> he doesn't recall Cassie or even Marco, um, or even a lot of Jake in this book. It's it's weird when Marco isn't chiming in every five minutes. Exactly. This is this is primarily a Tobias and Rachel book, really. Yeah. <laughs> Tobias and Rachel, featuring the other animorphs. <laughs> and then we move into kind of like a kind of a, a little bit of a dull stretch in this book, where uh, Tobias and Rachel go on a secret love mission to spy on uh, Area. Yeah, this is this is definitely a, a lull in the story. Looking back, they they do go and spy on Area and her downtown hotel room for quite a while and she just appears to be normal for a good stretch of it and then um <laughs> she uh she gets a call and suddenly has to like leave her room and she's on the move and it's very like whoa it's go time it's go time <laughs> you know it's like a very unnecessary action scene that happens here where tobias and rachel in bird morphs are very conspicuously like riding on a, a police car and then like doing all this just unnecessary movement as they follow her around. And as it turns out, she's only going to this uh, place that's right there in town. Uh, Frank's Safari Land and Putt-Putt Golf. It was basically an action scene brought to you by the same writers of Spider-Man 3. That's that's the kind of tone they were going for there. It just was it was like, hey, wacky. We, we've, we've got nothing to do here for this part. What would Michael Bay do? We wrote ourselves <laughs> into a corner. 
so yeah, they're riding on a police car. Go, it's actiony. Basically, they follow Arya to this place, uh, which right away, I don't know what it is with the Animorphs universe and just mistreatment of animal places, or, or if these places were more rampant in the 90s. I guess that that's probably the case, right? I, I mean, the 90s was when... Uh, I, I read the one and only Ivan, okay? I know that <laughs> animals have been held up in malls and, and terrible places for a long time. Well, yeah, I think the 90s is when conservation really took off, because you had the Zootopia magazines that were passed out in like middle schools and um i think like treating animals better is is kind of a 90s thing i shared with our friends on facebook very recently an article about uh the rainforest cafe reopening in the mall of america um it closed uh years ago i remember and uh i remember going there as a kid it was a decent place food wasn't that great atmosphere was kind of interesting it's crazy to me that you're talking about this like an old place i've been to three rainforest cafes in the last year oh really wow that is crazy yeah Yeah. well the new one is opening in the mall of america (laughs) i'm not trying to advertise for it by any means but i don't think they do (laughs) come on down i don't think they do live animals in in story never i've never seen a live animal in a rainforest cafe exactly so i I don't know what the animals beef with that is i don't think that was a real thing I think she well, made that up. And that must be why they had to move on to a place like Frank's Safari Land and Putt-Putt. Uh, back at Frank's Safari Land and Putt-Putt Golf, um, you know things are not going to go well because not only is, is it that kind of place where he's got animals that look miserable in cages, there's also a sign that reads Deadly Midget Freak the Living Razor. So uh, we found back. That's good. <laughs> I mean, it's actually incredibly good because the fact that he has a sign out there means that, you know, no... Yurk is running the place or anything, so that's pretty lucky. Yeah, and this is them finding this place and Arya going here at just the time they were following her to just coincide. <laughs> yeah, this is actually one of those books that coincidences. While there's coincidences in every book, this one they're starting to rack up and annoy me, so it may affect the uh, review score at the end. They uh, basically uh, spy on uh, Arya's conversation with frank here and again she seems kind of like the normal photographer type definitely not at all like visor three <laughs> yeah uh she definitely one of the weirder morphs of visor three and the fact that she's acting so normal like it really makes me think that she's like a vacation body for visor three and that all that stuff he did at the hotel and it's just kind of what he visor, visor three do. heard from visor one about how great it was to be a woman and he just had to feel it for himself. Yeah, just feel free. Girls like to have fun. Uh, so um, after their little conversation, um, Arya just kind of plays dumb about the Herkvajir. Um Says she doesn't really recognize it and uh, I guess makes a mental note of it and GTFOs. Yeah. Uh, the scene shifts on and we're back at Cassie's barn with the team. Um, kind of deciding that the obvious next move is to plan a snatch and grab for Beck there. Surprised they didn't try to do it themselves. I mean, does the book mention that? I can't remember if it if it talks about it. Why didn't they? Why they had to go back and plan it? I mean, Rachel um, and Tobias are usually a little more straightforward than that. That's a very good point, and I I'm not sure other than just to drag out the runtime of this book because they had to go back and discuss it with the team, and because they they I think there's a weird time shift here. Um, going to Frank's and spying on Arya and all that. 
happened, I think, later in the day. And they, they specifically mentioned that this is also a homework session where they're going to spend a lot of time working on homework and getting caught up and stuff. Because that's another thing they got to do. Cuts to these get that these homework, ch- child soldiers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Make them bills. Um, yeah, but, you know, everyone's in agreement that we obviously got to go get back out of Frank's. Um, and that's their next mission. Uh, Rachel's going elephant to smash things up. Tobias is using his Horkvajir morph, an underutilized one, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, it's smart, too, because, you know, you can relate to the young Horkvajir and kind of coax him out uh, a little easier than them trying to morph something that could drag him out. Right, exactly. Um, so they go in and start busting up the place, uh, to get the back, and there's, there's controllers there already infiltrating the place <laughs> and they call in backup pretty quick um there's black vans all over the city just waiting to be called in with oh i assume i assume there's there's giant suvs like with the seats stripped out of them just full of hork you know <laughs> like doing circles around the city just waiting for the visitor to call <laughs> yeah it's like uh, the visitor's own little hork fleet yeah, but they, they get back out of his cage, and uh, they're escaping, and then, of course, Visitor 3 slash Arya shows up. Well, no, this is just Visitor 3, straight up. Oh, he doesn't come in morph? Well, no, he comes in he comes in Visitor 3 mode. Um, and you know what? This I wanted to point out. Uh, there's a bit of continuity that I'm not sure about right here, if it's uh, kept or not. Um, so Visitor 3 recognizes Tobias's morph as Ket Helpak. Um and he specifically mentions, oh, uh, here's one of those runaways. Um, oh, yeah, I don't think this is continuity. I think it's uh, clear that it's not... He doesn't recognize the hork as far as who it is. He just sees a hork that's not on his side and assumes it's a free hork I guess, but I, I really got the sense that he recognized the specific hork um, which is, it, it bugs me because that was a major plot point of that book was <laughs> the, the fact that they had to trick the visitor into thinking he saw Ket and, uh, Jera, uh, fall into that little no, no, pit no. thing and yeah, die. I, I don't think this is a continuity issue. I think he, yeah, they did trick them and that got the, uh, Yurks off the Horkvajir's trail for a while, whatever. But then these Horkvajir started raiding that facility and the Yurks are very aware that they're being raided by free Horkvajir. Okay, so, so you're telling it. me this here is just him recognizing it as a non-controller? Yeah, Kajir? it's just him knowing that he, him thinking that this is just another raid, like they, they, uh, Horkbajir was captured, uh, and that this is a free Horkbajir coming to rescue it. Okay, well, <clears throat> uh, Visitor Three goes on to because he's always all about them new morphs. Has got to try out one of his other new morphs called a Caftid. Isn't this the the Andalite bird, though, from Andalite no, Chronicles. No, 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 no. This is way different. That was a. Uh, that was a. Um, oh my God! You're gonna try and make me remember the <laughs> these weird alien names. Uh, no, it was a K uh, sounding one though. And it had multiple wings and stuff. Doesn't this? This know. isn't a bird though, my friend. This is a big, eight legged. So it's more like a spider body uh, thing okay. with wings. It says it's got two wings. So it's like a winged spider thing that spits acid. It's probably like a hornet-looking thing or something. Yeah, maybe. 
and it spits acid, which is no good. Um, and <laughs> he ends up spitting it all over Tobias because Tobias takes a shot for Beck, um, which is the end of the scene, really, because it allows Visitor 3 to get away with Beck and uh, thus, you know, gives Tobias something to guilt trip over for the rest of the book. Yeah. Uh, because we immediately cut, you know, away from the mission back to his meadow where Tobias is just furious with himself and really, really hating life as a hawk <laughs> at the moment. Uh, when, you know, Axe shows up again and, um... Gives him a little pep talk. Good, well, he tries humor. Axe is not very good with humor. Uh, can't really make a joke. It's not really discernible as a joke. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they they go to spy on Arya more. So, yeah, I guess you're right. Earlier, Visitor 3 didn't show up as Arya because they're still trying to figure out what she's all about. Yeah, but it's very convenient, you know, for him to be on the scene there. So... Mm -hmm instantaneously <laughs> um yeah and again we get more them spying on Arya, and again her seeming to look normal yeah and um, she saves a little kid oh yeah really cranks no it sense. into overdrive here makes zero <laughs> sense because if this is okay if this is a real person saving a kid super convenient but obviously it's not it's it's visitor three so why would he save a kid and then it even kind of insinuates that maybe like later in the book it insinuates that uh maybe that was a setup but when would they know that any animorphs or andalite bandits would be watching them well here's to try the to thing trick? i think every time he used that aria morph um he assumed that he was being tailed and uh i believe that the driver of that car that little kid that you know he pushed out of the way and saved they were controllers, too. They were all in on it. I'm sure they repeat that same act at least once a day, <laughs> you know, just in case any Andalite bandits happen to be watching. But if um, it happened once a day and any Andalite bandits were watching and they watched long enough to see it happen more than once, then that would give you away. Okay, well, you know what? That's uh, just a problem that's not addressed in this book, Coleman. <laughs> Convenient. I'm just trying to give some explanation to how it makes sense. They They see this, yeah, and Tobias is super conflicted once again because he's like you can just see his hope meter if this were an rpg you know it'd be building and building and building he's so hopeful he's like i'm gonna be human again i got loving family <laughs> it's yeah, gonna he's, happen he's more optimistic than usual uh and him and rachel even he goes over to her house and they have a uh deep relationship conversation oh it's uh, great yeah if you have any doubt uh thus far reading in the this series that uh, these two are meant to be shipped. Um, here, 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 you have it. Really, yeah. <laughs> Rachel's just gung ho about him being human again. So, yeah, she lays it flat out. You know, there's there's tons of stuff that we can't do because you're a bird. Can't my boyfriend can't be a bird? Yeah, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm desperate here. I'm, I'm looking at Marco like he's looking pretty good all of a sudden. So that's just shallow of her. She should. Marry that bird. <laughs> Put a ring on that bird. Put a ring on that talon. <laughs> like around his neck. <laughs> and uh, then walk him around on a leash. So finally, after three-fourths of the book, um, Tobias finds out his birthday, which is tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And his birthday's tomorrow. Prom's tomorrow. <laughs> uh, right. So, yeah. And then, he, you know, he, he flies off because he can't really handle it. There, he's, there's a lot going on emotionally for Tobias this book, and this is why it's so great. Is because it really 
I believe, accurately depicts the struggle of a human trying to live the life of a hawk. <laughs> I will give you that. It definitely depicts that. Exactly. And, and in fact, we go back to the meadow again, and there's this really good scene that I think would just be amazing, you know, uh, animated. Or, I guess if you're what? one of the live-action person thing. Animated? Why, because why, 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 that's how I imagine the series, Coleman. That's how it rolls in my can't. head. Yeah, but you can't just throw out this scene in particular for being such oh, a good animated scene. Oh, I can. Scene. I can. Because uh-huh. it's him sitting in the meadow, miserable as hell as a bird, thinking, you know, his hope meter is at its peak. He is right now believing so hard that, like, being a human is right around the corner, that he's so tempted he goes down to the ground and starts to morph human. And then he has to, like, think about it for a second, go, no, wait a minute, we got this mission going on. I'm going to put it on pause here for a sec. And because he's still starving, he's got to go fly off and eat more roadkill. What part of that has anything to do with being animated? Like, what part of that uses the format better than Because any other I could see it as such a dark, ominous scene. Uh, I, I just imagined it brilliantly. I'm sorry you don't have the imagination. No, I just imagine to it make like it a normal work. person and imagine it in live action. No, yes. I can I, I can see it being a fantastic. No, scene. I know what you're seeing. You're thinking like back, giant moon in the background. And he's sitting in the field with the swaying kikadas no, I'm playing. I'm thinking like and... an ultra close up on uh, a silhouette with glowing eyes of the hawk tearing at this bloody carcass, and Tobias just thinking like, "Yep, just one more night of this." No, you want you want to <laughs> see what this actually should be. Picture a live action red-tailed hawk landing in the meadow and Boo, you see I need that on Discovery shush, Channel. Shush. You see the frustration and the the tear and the everything coming together and you see him morphing to human and close up, extreme close up on his eye, and as his eye is changing from hawk to human, tears form. Something he can't do as a hawk. And he morphs back. <laughs> oh my Boom. <laughs> And then he wins a daytime Emmy. No, that'd be amazing. His tear glands form and immediately start streaming before he even gets full human. That's that's powerful. That's powerful. Uh, Okay, moving on. Uh, The team goes right into their next mission, which is trying to get the mission going by going to visit the Harkbajir Valley. So that Tobias can kind of weasel the, the location of this Yerk facility out of them. Um, they go there and uh, they they talk with the Horkmajir quite a bit here. And basically team up with some of the Horkmajir raiders that agree. And this is the only way that they'll give them the location is if they go with them. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. I mean, they're like rolling with their own Horkmajir team for once. It's really cool. Uh, it reminds me a lot of that scene in Jurassic World where they're like running through the forest with the Velociraptors. Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Similar to that. But uh, yeah, so there's this whole new plot of uh, the Yorks are putting a giant Dracon beam that'll be anti-air. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they where did this plot come like, from? Oh my gosh, this Yurk facility's got a giant gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, we need something. We need some nefarious plot. Uh, gun, I bad, I shoot. It, it couldn't have just been like, uh, okay, this is a facility where, um, you know, some of the, the Horkbajir controllers go to, like, get massages or something because they, <laughs> they're in terrible shape. No, it's 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 giant gun 
zone here. You know, what um, you know what make more sense and be incredibly relevant to the themes of this book. If this was a processing uh, plant for Horkbajir's like new Horkbajir controllers, and they were being trained to use their new uh, bodies, it was like a training facility. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Um, no such thing though, and uh, <laughs> they they quickly decide that their best course of action here for locating Beck is to get on the inside. And to get on the inside, they're going to have to go small, and they're going to have to get captured, which is exactly what they go about doing by having these hork raiders just flat-out get captured by the enemies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which it works. I mean, it's one of their, they do this a few times in the series. It's pretty smart. Right, yeah. No, this is their kind of... <laughs> right, this is the Animorphs' go-to strategy at this point is, well... Screw it. Let's just let them capture us and we can work our way out of it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, this is literally how they win the war, too. This, no, this... I know. I mean, the, the Visitor 3 has been foiled so many times by boxes, cages. <laughs> the list goes on and on, really. Anything cubicle, just keep away from the Visitor. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so as soon as they're in there, you know, Tobias is easily able to demorph um, and kind of hawk walk himself right out of the cage. <laughs> Um, and then he he remorphs Arkbajir again and and easily gets the keys to the cage and frees everybody. Yeah, and then it's just all hell breaks loose. They go battle morphs and uh, do Basically, their there's, thing. There's a very you know kind of sloppy action esque scene here where everyone's going battle morphs and Tobias kind of demorphs and returns to the sky as a hawk. And this is like where it gets weird, or at least for me it did, because Arya shows up riding in a helicopter. And this is how Tobias pieces it all together, that Arya is Visor 3. And uh, he's, he's very devastated by this news. I mean, all of his hope has just been dashed here. Like, he falls out of the sky and just doesn't want to go on. Um, and it, in fact, he doesn't even get up. It's Toby who finds him on the battlefield, because she's there too for some damn reason. Yeah, and I just <laughs> picture him just, uh, or not him, but Toby just throwing Tobias at Rachel and being like, you take care of him. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, I imagine it kind of more funny. Or, or, yeah, funny slash cute, I guess. Because Tobias is just sort of wallowing there in the dirt, like as a bird, not wanting to get up. He says himself he's not even injured. And, yeah, you know, it's basically a scene from Twilight. Toby, yeah, Toby walks up and just kind of picks him up, cradles him in his arm, walks him over to Rachel, and then I imagine it just kind of nonchalantly, like, holding him up to her and she's like okay bird delivery <laughs> exactly um and this is where tobias kind of has his little breakdown freak out where he tells everyone no aria's visitor three so that whole yeah. thing's not gonna work out guys which makes the next scene pretty good i mean it, it's tobias has to go back on his birthday and uh see what the lawyer is offering him or whatever with aria and it makes it kind of a tense scene knowing aria's visitor three and Right, yeah. I mean, she even hugs him. Oh, man, how many of them can say that they've actually hugged the Visor? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess true. maybe Marco and Visor 1, but... <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Hey, maybe Marco and Visor 3. There's a lot of a lot of books we haven't read. Uh, yeah, but I mean, this this is a really cool scene. Uh, DeGroote, who's obviously a, a yerk now, is um, just kind of trying to get through the whole thing, and he wants to read the letter, and they're, like, both watching Tobias so so harshly here and he says the thing that saved his life is how that how he forgot how to use facial expressions which <laughs> is kind of dumb what i like i like that i like that a lot because I mean, it's, it's, it's true it, it's i think that's i think that's how it would be 
I would. You're much trying prefer... to say that he would still have his instincts, his human instincts? No, no, no. I think it's it's perfectly plausible. It's not as coincidental or anything as any of the rest of the book. It's a perfectly plausible way for him to get out of that situation. I just don't think it's very good. I mean, I, I think him struggling not to show emotion when he's finding out this intense information would be much more interesting. But... Well, it, it does it does imply pretty heavily that you know he's in struggling internally at least um, because he does know uh, what this letter is about. Uh, as soon as it you know says that it's from Elfengor. Um, which is the whole point of this letter and the whole point of this book is so that Tobias can finally find out what we, the readers, have known this whole time, that he is Elfingor's son. Um, so this is obviously a plot which he even, uh, after he gets out of there, goes on to uh, clear up that, yeah, they, they found this letter initially uh, because the lawyer, uh, de Groot's father, uh, had been Elfingor's lawyer in the past and had this letter yeah. And then uh, the 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 another DeGroat, the the one in this book, his son, uh, took over the business, became a Yerk, found the letter, showed it to the visitor, and they had to you know track down Elfinger's son. Um, it's really cool here though, uh, as they're reading this letter, um, just good you know kind of wrap up moment for for Elfinger and uh, Tobias to give their relationship a little closure since they never really got any. Yeah, and it's it's a good wrap up. It's it's nice, you know, him coming to accept that he's human and that uh, he is still Hawk and he has to keep the fight going. It's 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 a good wrap up ending, feel good ending, whatever. And uh, of course, he goes see Rachel and they have to do a little birthday cake thing um, to really you know hit home the emotional state of everyone. Well, um, I I like the lawyer scene though because I mean even. Tobias is, is trying to play it cool. He knows he's in a really bad situation, and if even the slightest little hint drops that he knows what's going on, the visitor's going to be at his throat, so he's got to play it cool. Um, the visitor even gives <clears throat> Elfinger a compliment, a backhanded sort of compliment, uh, when, when Tobias sort of shrugs it off and pretends that he's disinterested and thinks it's all made up. Um, yeah, Tobias, uh, Visitor 3 is like, you know, I knew your your father, Elfinger, and uh, he he was a wise. He says something about him being like smart, and there won't soon be another one like him in this universe. So you can tell that there's some ad admiration between Visitor Three. Yeah, and Yeah, but there's actually a break in character in this scene. Who do you think I think it's from? Tobias. No. Groot. No. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's DeGroot. I don't think it's DeGroat. No, it uh, is DeGroat because the uh, the the receptionist specifically says it rhymes like with boat. boat. Yeah, never mind. Sorry, I'm wrong. <laughs> I've been trying to put that in this entire episode. Because I think the reader is supposed to, is led to believe it, it looks like Groot, DeGroot. Yeah, but it's that's the joke, I guess, that it's DeGroat. Yeah. Anyway, breaking character. I think Wizard Three has a very big breaking character here. Uh, so they're in this room. Everybody's a controller. Uh, Tobias is here. He knows Tobias is Elfinger's son, and <laughs> oh, knows... I know what I know what you're gonna. Yeah, say. he knows Tobias has no family, and no one's looking for him. Why wouldn't Visitor Three just as a show of mockery to Elfinger, or or just just because he's Visitor Three? Why would not he? Why wouldn't he make a controller, or just flat out kill Tobias? 
Well, to understand that, you got to first understand his excuse here is that he says, you know, this kid is no good. He's some young punk and uh, he's a he would be a disgrace as a controller and he, he doesn't honor his father. And, you know, that's why I think that he even gives Elfinger this compliment or is shown to think highly of Elfinger here. Because it's it's led His son is such a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's leads you to believe that he actually thinks less of Tobias for that and is so disinterested with him that he doesn't even think it's worth sparing any time or a yerk to him. I guess. You think he'd just kill him in the room real quick though. Well, yeah, you know, um you could argue that yeah, okay, the visitor's supposed to be ruthless, he's supposed to be paranoid. He he might just kill Tobias, you know, because he does crazy shit like that. He's the visitor. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't even say paranoia or ruthless. I'd just say, like, egotistical. Like, here's my fallen enemy's son. You can follow your father. One more slap in the face to his legacy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they could have done a lot of different routes with this, but the one that they do is ultimately the one that cleans everything up the tidiest. So that Tobias can get out of there, Visitor 3 can go on his way, and nobody's going to be looking for Tobias anymore or anything like that. Yep, that's that's uh, a lot of what I'd say for the plot of this book, is tidy. Exactly, that's that's the point. And we get a very, very cute little ending scene of, you know, Tobias hanging out in Rachel's bedroom with a birthday cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a nice little topper. Right yeah. after they, uh, I'm sure he morphed human and they had some sweet, PG-13 related relations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go first on the uh, review <clears throat> scale? Uh, yeah, you know, I will go first on the review because I think I had a higher opinion of this thing um, than than you did. Uh, we'll just, based, just based on what we're, what we're talking about here. I had so many notes going through this book. Like, I, I think I dog-eared more pages than I've ever dog-eared in in one of these books before. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to quickly browse over my uh, uh, dog ears and see if there's anything real good before we go on here. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a great Marco rant in here uh, where he's comparing... He's talking about how our lives have become Nintendo games. <laughs> <laughs> We're always walking down some dark hallway with our blasters drawn and there's an endless array of enemy guys. We blow them up, but they keep coming. When do we get to hit, hit the pause button? When do we get to switch over to a nice, peaceful Riven? Okay, first of all, how many of you people even get the Riven reference? Okay, A, it's Riven. <laughs> it's not Riven. Riven? Right? Okay, Riven. sorry. Uh, and B, I don't think that described a single Nintendo game, what Marco just laid out. <laughs> <laughs> Contra. Oh, uh, yeah. kind of. What dark hallways were you going through in, in Contra? Dude, how far did you get in Contra? You fought aliens in Contra. I know you fought aliens. I'm saying you <laughs> There's a dark couple dark hallways. hallways. I'm you sure. Were, I'm sure. You were a side scroller jumping around until those random 3D parts where you're shooting straight. Okay, well, <clears throat> regardless, I've got some other stuff for you. They actually have a, a lot of good. This is some of the, the good Cassie dialogue that I was talking about here. Later on in the book, um, they bring up some good moralistic uh, arguments. Um, concerning like guerrilla warfare and stuff like that um and i'll just read you little snippets here uh they're arguing and rachel says someone pushes you you push back doesn't matter who it is you have to make the other guy pay a price cassie rolled her eyes that's like a perfect rationalization for gang warfare 
World World War Two. Rachel shot back. The Nazis push. You push back. If you don't, they kill you anyway. Cassie goes on to say, Northern Ireland, the Middle East. Some of these references are like way over my head, or yeah. at least they were at the time of reading these. Well, there were there were a ton of very. You're right. There were a ton of like these little moralistic uh, snippets throughout the book. Wasn't there? Um, wasn't there a scene in the book that talked about um, being gay? Um. Yeah. Yeah. There. There. They did mention, uh, in fact, I have it right here. Um, humans didn't have a great record of getting along with different people or people different from themselves. Humans killed one another over skin color or eye shape or because they prayed differently to the same God. Hard to imagine humans welcoming seven foot tall goblins into the local Boy Scout troop when they couldn't even manage to tolerate some gay kid. Yeah. yeah. Wise words from Animorphs, man. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, it's so it's very ham-fisted into this book for some reason. Like it's like Kay well, it's Applegate it's, read it's, a bunch of news stories and then wrote this book. No, no, it, it's totally fitting with Tobias and his themes, which are learning. It, it's, it's all about acceptance, accepting yourself for what you are. Yeah. That's all Tobias's thing. His is, yeah. Okay. I'm a guy in a hawk. Okay. But it could very easily be translated into a gay kid or, you know, a, a interracial couple, whatever. It's the struggle that you have to learn to cope with and get over with and accept in your life. Yeah, and I the, agree. The that, struggle that's not going away. I agree that that's sewn very much into this book. So, I mean, that does make sense. So, get into your review. Let's, let's hear it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I love the book. Uh, from the beginning to the end, I thought it was a good time. You're right. There are definite lulls. Um, in the book, uh, I mean, there's unnecessary action scenes. There are things that don't necessarily make a lot of sense um, when you really get to thinking about it. There are a lot of coincidences, which if you listen to any of our past reviews, you know that I am a stickler for coincidences, usually more so than you, I feel. And the coincidences didn't even bother me that bad in this book. Uh, I, I just, looking back on it, I remember it being fun I remember not actually remembering as much as I thought I did about this book. Uh, like the whole rescue hork mission that's totally glossed over by the back of the book um, is, is was kind of a blast from the past as well. Um, more hork development. So we're getting, you know, B characters developed. Always nice to see. Uh, wish a chi or two would pop up somewhere, but we're waiting on that. Uh, <laughs> more more Tobias and Rachel relationship, which is always good. There's even a cute little moment in this book uh, between Rachel and Marco where uh, Tobias kind of gets jealous for a moment because Marco rests his head sort of on Rachel's uh, shoulder, and it's very cute, I'll admit. Um, it, I just thought every all the characters were on point. They were the best of their, their best uh, in terms of personality. Uh, sure, we didn't necessarily get as much comedy from Marco or Axe that we'd like, but uh, all of the stuff with Tobias, Tobias is one of everybody's favorite characters. I mean, he's right up there with Jake. Uh, it's just, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's a great story of, of accepting yourself, and for me, it was a solid five out of five Hawk Walks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a high score. And uh, while 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 you ruminated on that, five out of five, because yes, I really enjoyed it. Let's talk about the title, the Pretender. Yes, who do you think that it implies? Tobias is the real pretender. <laughs> okay, uh. the Pretender is Visitor Three for sure. Let's let's not 
sugar cookie. No, it's, it's obviously supposed definitely. to be supposed to be multi layered. It's the but, pretender is multiple aspects of this book. Oh yeah, there you go, Colin. You figured it here, out. Here, I got a new I got a new title for this book. The Pretentious. <laughs> uh I love it. But um can I, can I don't. I Let's hear now? your review. Can I, can I review it? Okay. Um so honestly Reading this book last week, I thought to myself, you know, after after reading every Anarch book, you know, you kind of think to your back of your head, uh, what review are you going to give? At least we do, because we're co-hosts of a show that reviews the books. Um, so I, I came into this book a solid four out of five last week. That's that's honestly what I was thinking. And getting into this episode, I was actually talking about it um, right at the beginning. The fact that I didn't remember the plot, and I love these books. I love this book series. I'm the co-host of an Animorphs podcast. I'm a big fan, and I, I love so many stories of this, book, of this series. The fact that I didn't remember the plot until we started talking about it, that's you got to lose a star right there, right from that. That's, Wait, what plot did you forget? I honestly forgot the entire... I knew Hork were involved. I completely forgot that they were doing like a raid to get back back. And uh, just a lot of this book, I forgot. I remembered the lawyer and all that. But just from last week, just completely left my mind. Okay, yeah, I will give you that. You do tend to only remember the parts involving Tobias and his past. Yeah. Because that's what the book, I mean, right on the cover there. Tobias hey, is hey, about hey, to discover hey, the secrets of his review past. Review time. Review time. I talk, you don't talk. Uh, <laughs> this is not fight time. Yeah, I'm jumping uh, in whenever I feel like it. Damn. No, shut up. We don't do that. So, yeah, I just, I got to knock off a star right there for, uh, just not making an impact with the story of the book, which these are books that should have strong stories to support their characters and stuff. And I will 100% give it that the Tobias parts of this book where he's struggling with being a hawk, even though we have rehashed that over and over again with this character, this is the book that really defines that and really plays that up and, and has him come to grips with it. And all of that stuff is great. I mean, even hallucinating aside, um, Still really, really good, and I, I really enjoyed those aspects. You know, eating roadkill and having to deal with that, awesome. That would normally, right there, earn a book 4 out of 5 for me, or if not higher. But, so I've already knocked one star, just because the unforgettable plot. And then the coincidences. I know we have to put up with that for a lot of these books, but it was so bad in this one. So many coincidences, over and over and over again. And they're blatant, lazy coincidences. That's that's the difference. We have we deal with a lot of coincidences, and you could chalk them up to Limus. These were lazy coincidences. Uh, so that's that combined with just uh, the way it kind of wraps up, and uh, just not just not. I maybe I'm just more cynical when we record after midnight, but <laughs> uh, I just I I'm not feeling this now that we've had a chance to discuss it. I just got more and more sour as we went through the summary. And uh, so, I, by all means, take my first score that I actually thought it uh, thought right out of the gate, right after I read it, four out of five. Uh, but I think, honestly, the score, from a critical perspective, two out of five. Two out of no five way. deadly midget No freaks. way. Yes. Okay, I thought you were going to say three, which makes sense. Yes, I think, <laughs> come on, dude. Three is, three is a totally average book. Let me justify it. You um, can't justify it. You guys, Hey, shut up. Uh, <laughs> it was, this is this is going to be an episode that pisses a lot of people off. It will. That's fine. I'm not trying to just be a contrarian. I honestly, I dropped, I flat out dropped a star for forgetting the plot of the book. That's not on me. I don't have a terrible memory, especially when it comes to books I just read. Uh, so for that, it lost a star at the beginning of this episode. And 
talking about it. Everything I brought up during this episode, all my critiques of the coincidences and the poor storytelling and the just the random occurrences and the lagging, yeah, that drops another star. So I only took away two stars from an original good score, which makes it two at least understandable from my perspective, what I've talked about. I'm not just randomly giving it a bad score to give it a bad score. Um, so that's... Okay, well, we're going to average our scores together, and it gets a four. <laughs> it gets a 3.5, maybe. Um, but no, I mean, just I, if that pisses people off, I'm sorry, but I think I've given some pretty good evidence, at least in my mind, why it dropped that quick. Um, so take it or leave it. Uh, this is just not one that left an impact on me, and for all I know, I did read this when I was younger, and it didn't leave an impact on me then. You know, I will say, though, I, I remembered reading this book uh, from my childhood. I remembered him morphing the bunny, but I realize now that I, I even even my memory is wrong <clears throat> because I thought he morphed the rabbit, mm-hmm. um, which I guess he does kind of at the end there. Um, but I mean, it's like visions of the. So I don't know. My memory's flawed. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, like... I, I'm saying the memory, the book is not as memorable. There. As I may believe it to be. Yeah, and that's that knocks a star off for me. But um, I will say, yeah, there's essential parts of the book. It's not like you can skip this book or anything. It's it's important. There's incredibly good aspects to it. It does stay on theme. It's one of the of best it. Tobias books. Yeah, it stayed, parts of it. I'm just saying the execution just just didn't hold up. Okay, so you like you like the Tobias backstory stuff. You just don't necessarily like the. Uh, the unnecessary elements of it, the action, the the stuff that more falls into the tropes of past books. Well, that and just the the story itself. Yeah, I mean, just it, I felt like it was a little rushed. Like maybe they they didn't have much time to come up with this one. It just it just felt a little a little well, lazy. I I definitely think they had the idea in mind that we need to somehow figure out a way to have Tobias learn. About you know who his father is. Yeah, and so I almost they came took up off. with the whole letter and and yeah, lawyer yeah, yeah. and cousin but premise. I'll tell you this: I almost took off another star for that too. This was almost a one out of five because Tobias learning he's Elfinger's son should be a big deal. It should be what this book is about, and it's just one other plot point. Yeah, you know, you know what really disappoints me now? The looking back on it. We don't get the team's reaction to this news. No. We barely get Tobias's reaction to this news. It's ridiculous. Um, I would love to hear, you know, what Jake has to say or what Rachel has to say about it or and Marco maybe, or Maybe he holds anybody. that. Maybe he keeps that secret for a while. He doesn't reveal that until a later book or something. But uh, Yeah, that could be. I'm not entirely sure on it. Um, you sure you don't want to join me? Drop a star. Come down to four. No, um... <laughs> okay, looking back on it now, I almost feel like a four is more accurate. However, I will say, I just when I put it down, I felt in my gut like good, like five good. I know you texted just, me. I'm gonna give this a five out of five right I, after yeah, you finish reading you. it. I was excited. I was like, oh, good for Tobias. Good for him. He got his birthday cake. Good for him. Like you know, I felt it. it felt good. And um. Looking back at all these kind of technical flaws, you know, it would make a little bit more sense from a technical standpoint to give it a four out of five. But I don't care. I'm sticking with my five out of five. Like I said, right after I read it, I was just as jazzed, was going to give it a four out of five. But yeah, under the microscope, it doesn't hold up. Well, I know that a lot of uh, the fan base loves this book, as I said earlier. Um, 
if if yeah, if you're offended at all by us kind of tearing it asunder, uh, welcome to thought. Sorry, speak. but that's what this uh, <laughs> podcasting series is going to be about. Um, we don't sugarcoat it here. Yeah, if we did, we'd be just like the hundreds of fan sites out there that are just going to grease their poles reading these books. Um, sorry if that euphemism is a little gross. I, gre- I greased my pole when I read this book. <laughs> I mean, we're we're here to talk about them. I mean, the whole the whole point of this podcast is this didn't start out being a podcast. We loved Animorphs, but we didn't start this podcast out wanting to just slob over the entire series and talk about how good it is. We wanted to see if, as adults, this series held up that was written for 12-year-olds. Literally. Yeah, and you know, the more and more we discover, there are definitely certain themes, aspects, parts that are holding up entirely. And then, you know, we do find these other pieces that we realize are maybe filler material or unnecessary action scenes or some of the uh, more familiar tropes that we've seen recycled over and over. We're we're learning these. We're figuring out the patterns of these books. You know, we're getting it. Yeah, and if my review pissed you off, uh, I'm sorry, but I have a feeling we're going to get, especially going into these ghostwritten books, I'm going to end up really liking some of these books that people hate, and I'm going to really hate some of the ones they like. So, <laughs> Right, I, I don't know. It's going to be all over the place. I assume for the most part I'll like everything. But I think the most fun thing here is going to be talking about the really, really cool original sci-fi concepts that K.A. Applegate came up with throughout the franchise. And how they were either properly utilized or how they could have been made better. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's our show for this week. Uh, go ahead and check us out on iTunes. Uh, we got a new review on there, by the way. Another five-star review, which we greatly appreciate. It came, I think, yesterday. Oh, um, terrific. I haven't even seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Well, keep shooting us your five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes, everybody. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I really would like to make a push on iTunes because... Uh, I mean, if you could go on there and just give us a review, preferably in the higher score, but, you know, just just more reviews on there. I want to get to, like, the newer noteworthy section or something, and you really need a certain amount of reviews, and you need them to come, you know, fairly quickly to, like, hit any of that. So I think a lot of people just don't realize there's an Animorphs podcast out there. So if we could get higher reviews, it's not because we're egotistical, but because more people will find the show. Yeah, nothing, nothing gets us to put out episodes quicker than people saying really kind things about us and more and more people noticing us for sure. Yeah. I would love to move to a quicker schedule, but right now um, it's just really hard with all our work and everything and knowing that, you know, our, our audience is still a little small. I mean, we love our fans. They're awesome. They write in all the time and it's great to discuss things with them, but this really would become more of a priority in our life if, we knew it was, you know, being heard by more people and it was getting a bigger and bigger audience. So exactly. So getting on iTunes ratings, reviews, definitely a, a big helpful thing, but also, you know, feel free to jump on Facebook. We're on there. Uh, we reply to everybody on Facebook for the most part. Uh, we have a Twitter at Morphcast. You can get on there. I'm, I run that completely. So if you want to ask me anything specifically, I'm on Twitter, uh, for, for the thought speak podcast. Uh, yeah, and I like posting uh, related articles and uh, stuff like that to the uh, Facebook page. And honestly, communicating think, with folks on there. I don't think a lot of people go to our website. I think our website is uh, one of the cooler aspects of our show. We have a lot of unique artwork on there, and you post some really cool conservation things about animals uh, 
on our website. So if you haven't checked right. that out, it's uh, www.thoughtspeakcast.com. We got a re- uh, retweet by Michael Grant the other day. What yeah. did he retweet? What did, what did you tweet? Well, I tweeted just a, kind of a basic advertisement for the show. Like, hey, if you love Animorphs, uh, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. We do this podcast discussing the 1996 series by Kay Applegate and Michael Grant. And I actually tweet tag them or what are you going to call it um where you put their name so it oh yeah them. yeah and uh it got he just a basic advertising for our show got retweeted to michael grant's two hundred thousand uh twitter followers oh hell yeah well if uh michael grant sent you here thanks for listening and we hope that you listen again uh next time we will be reviewing as we'd mentioned so many times during this review the hork bajir chronicles we're finally tackling it two Hork Bajir virgins finally mm-hmm. reading the Chronicles. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I think it's gonna be really good. I mean, I I hope it's on par with like the Olympus Chronicles or the Andalite Chronicles. I'm, I I don't know. I'm scared. I don't know what to expect. Mm. It's gonna be a tale of treachery and tree bark. <laughs> there you go. Of treachery and tree bark. A Hork Bajir story. It's like the pride, next time. It's like the Pride and Prejudice of the Animorph series. Exactly. Next time on Thoughtspeak Cast. Well, until then, I have been your host, Mitchell. And I'm Coleman. Saying peace out, y'all. Have a good one.